All right, I'm going to go in the intro now. All right, hit it. You're listening to Season 3, Episode 3 of Hip Squared, American Fantastic's pop culture podcast, celebrating everything from the mainstream to the independent, weird, old, and local. Troy, how's it going? I am centered, zoned, and in my mind focus right now. <laughs> well, Which means I'm about good. to fall asleep, so we probably should get yeah. recording pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not have enough chemical stimulants in your system right now? No, I have not ingested enough caffeine um, <laughs> or other other fiends yeah. to keep my uh, body going. Before the last episode, um, I had made the the co- this coffee drink that I was talking about the last episode, the one with the sweet and condensed milk in it. But then I put it on my floor of my basement and knocked it over with my foot. Oh, no. So I uh, <laughs> <laughs> I make a mad scramble for like two giant bunches of paper towels. Oh, no. Um, a tra- yeah. a travesty. I feel like my caffeine tolerance is so high now because working at um, Starbucks, you can just always take espresso shots. And I've found out that like, Three espresso shots on ice with heavy whipping cream on top. It's like pretty delicious and like definitely gives you a kick. <laughs> but I know I try not to abuse it because I know if you have like, if you drink way too much coffee, it kind of tears you up inside. Yeah, it can give you like a heart arrhythmia or something like that. Yeah. So I try to avoid that at least. Well, a little caffeine yeah. now, now and then isn't the worst. Yeah. It's not. It's, there's definitely much more intense things you can do than just a little bit of coffee. That is true. Um, well, this week, um, actually today, as we talk, is the 34th anniversary of Dragon Quest. Um, it's a Japanese role-playing game. Um, one of the really remarkable things about it is it has the the, the same three creators throughout the whole series. So the um, lead designer is Yuji Hori. The um, artist who does all the character and monster art is Akira Toriyama of Dragon Ball Z fame. And the composer for the whole series is Koichi Sugiyama, Mm. who makes this really cool symphonic um, video game music, which is really neat because now when you play a game, it's actual like symphonic music, like the overture theme is recorded by the London Philharmonic for Dragon Quest XI. But in Dragon Quest One, it's just like MIDI music, so bleeps and bloops. But it's it's really cool that it sounds that way. Um, but basically what Dragon Quest XI is, is it's it's kind of like playing a fairy tale. So it's it's like the medieval high fantasy adventure story. But... Um, the thing that makes it distinct is that it's so kind of like lighthearted and um, it's, it's just very charming. It's not really dark or grim or anything. Um, and every, every story is kind of like your um, hero, like chosen one, um, saves the world with a group of companions story. And then along the way, you have all these little adventures and it introduces you to different parts of the world. 
and you know you meet your companions and you learn their backstories and then together you defeat this evil force so is this like a thought-provoking kind of story or is it just very like happy-go-lucky well um carry over between i haven't played a whole lot well i think any dragon quest so uh you're talking to a novice here give me give me the give me well, the well, there's, there's elements that are really kind of like heartfelt and emotional um there's also parts that are just kind of like silly and and just humorous um so i'd say it's a nice balance there's definitely dark parts there so for example um so one of the stories so in dragon quest 11 there's all these different cities that you visit like all across the world and in this one specifically they're all kind of analogs for real world places um so there is one that's that's kind of like this analog for hawaii it's like a it's like a polynesian island um culture mm -hmm. and you meet so you meet in this like weird archipelago in the middle of nowhere uh, a mermaid and she tells you that she's been um waiting for her her lost love kai for 50 years hmm. and she tells you where this um this village is that kai is from and so you go there and it's this fishing village well she's did i say that she's a mermaid yes okay yes. <laughs> that's important she is, she is a mermaid a water person <laughs> so okay. so when you get back to this city you learn this little village, you learn that there is kind of like this curse associated with mermaids and they always tell people to kind of fear them and stay away from them. Hmm. Uh, and then in the course of this, you learn that the Kai that the mermaid fell in love with has died and the hmm. Kai that's in the village now is his granddaughter. Oh. A grandson, I mean. Oh. So once you figure this out, you go back to the mermaid and then she follows you um to the village and her kai's grandson whose name is also kai shows her the uh kai's graves his grandfather's gravestone hmm. and so part of um mermaids in this world is if they walk on dry land then they will um like they'll grow legs and they'll look like people mm -hmm. but if they ever go back into the ocean they just they turn... dissolve into like seawater that's so... very classic uh mermaid <laughs> mythology yeah so so the mermaid goes into dry land and says goodbye uh to her lost love and then she just goes back into the ocean mm -hmm. so she's basically like committing suicide Mm -hmm. which is very i don't know like shakespearean tragic i think to that's me. actually the story for the little mermaid as well like the original one like the original like one yeah because i it know that be. that mythology of um the mermaid like that leaves the sea and grows or leaves the sea and grows legs and then when they go back turns to sea foam i know that's a classic mythology but i i, I love stories that steal from that kind of like um culture and fiction um, yeah and and that's kind of like why i described it as like a classic fairy tale because mm -hmm. um like a lot of them are very emotional there's also a, a brother and a sister 
that are very destitute um and they they're like they're kind of like servants for these viking pirates and mm-hmm. um the brother finds a um like a necklace that he gives to his sister and then she it's kind of like gives her the Midas touch and she can turn everything into gold mm. and then that kind of like consumes her okay. and then eventually you have to go back and like fight her and confront her uh to just like free her of this curse but also like she's turning this entire city like people into golden statues hmm. um so it's neat so so that's kind of like the story aspect. You just go from city to city and you kind of like go like through these, like you're usually like helping a person or saving like a city or a village or like defeating this big monster. Um, so that's kind of like the storyline aspect. The gameplay aspect is a lot of um, adventuring. So throughout an overworld, you'll hear like the really cool music as you do it. Um, one thing that's different about this game is the other Dragon Quest games is you can actually see the enemies in the field. Oh. So instead of just being random encounters, you can choose to attack them or avoid them. Oh, that's very Final Fantasy-esque nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, like, well, the first game I ever played that had that was Chrono Trigger for the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. But it's become a little bit more common now, like the old random turn-based um is it's kind of like an archaic style now. Right. But um well, and then so when you get into a battle, you are taking turns the whole way through and you have your different classes. So you have like people that are more like soldiers and like wizards that cast offensive magic and, and priests that are like your healers. And then um the combat, especially as you keep going, gets really complex because you have to do buffs and debuffs and you have um, like different abilities that complement each other. And then another cool thing about this one. So in the Japanese version, it's called focus, but Mm. in the American version, it's called pepped up, which is just so silly and corny to me. Love it. But it's basically you, you unlock these like special attacks where you can, um, you can do like either a lot of extra damage or it'll give you a really cool bonus, like a buff. And then, um, and then the and then if you have certain characters in your party and they're pepped up at the same time, they'll do um they'll do like attacks that like use them all at once. Like both of the pep powers at once to do something that neither one of them can do individually. Gotcha. Uh, and those are also neat because they have these little animated like lead-ins to them. So instead of just your regular attacks, it'll have this like like sh- very short movie that'll lead into the attack, which is really mm-hmm. cool too. Do, do the movies get old after a while? Um, yeah. Not too bad, but you can also skip them, which oh, is nice. Oh, that's nice. Um, I was going to say, that was my thing, was that after you've seen the movie like the eighth time, it's like, okay, now <laughs> I, I can just get to the attack now. Yeah. I mean, I think they look really cool for the most part, so I usually don't skip them. But it, yeah, if it's one, if they've seen a bunch or I'm in a hurry, then... Um, then I'll do that. Uh, the The enemy types are also just like really goofy sometimes. Um, like there's one that looks like a giant demon, like like with like the the fawn, like the satyr style with like the hooves and the furry legs and is like it, the horns. Is it a demon but type? It's, 
Yeah, but it's yeah. like super fat, and it also like has this hula hoop that is constantly spinning. Um, I don't know. The most. And so like Akira Toriyama, yeah, Akira Toriyama designs these monsters, but they're just kind of like a lot of them are really bizarre. There's also a really cool one. Um, I know at least one. Like so, each monster has different iterations. So basically, it's like different colors. But mm-hmm. the more advanced ones are, um, you know, are obviously more challenging. But there's one that's cool that's called, one of the forms is called Iron Maiden. And it's like this ghostly woman. And she's wearing one of those hoop dresses, which are those like dresses that get really wide on the bottom. Sure. And there's like this, like you can see kind of like the outline of the iron cage underneath. And then one of her attacks is to like rise up into the sky and she can fall on one of your characters and then basically hold them in the cage Hmm. of her dress. Uh, And, and then the other thing, there's like just um, monsters that have been through the entire series. So one of the most iconic ones are slimes, which they're like these little teardrop monsters with these big anime eyes and they're, and they're very cute. So um, they are like, Oftentimes, like people will have like stuffed animal versions of them, or like they've been made into toys and things like that. That was definitely the one um, that I was thinking of that I thought was from this series. Yeah, it's it's kind of the most the most iconic one. Um, and then, and then I guess the other thing that's that was groundbreaking about Dragon Quest the original is it it kind of set the template for um, JRPGs, which is exploration. Uh, talking to people and finding out clues, exploring dungeons, and then fighting monsters and leveling up, and eventually, you know, fighting harder and harder monsters until you get to the end of the game. And right now, I've gotten to a part. So this is really weird. So like, there's Act One and Act Two. Act Two is when like the world is plunged into this like dark version of itself, like after this horrible disaster. And then you can defeat the big bad guy of the first two parts of the game but then the third part um it lets you time travel to save one of your companions that's died hmm. and um and so like it gives you the credits it, it it acts like it's like almost like the end of the game at the end of the second act but then like a whole third of the game is after that and now um so most Dragon Quest games, like the ones I played when I was younger, they usually end in like your like level, like low 40s would be the end. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm like in the low 60s <laughs> and I've surpassed 100 hours in the game. And that's like getting to the very last part of the uh, of the main, well, like of the third part of the quest, which is... Um, and then for me, it's like an insane amount of time to invest into a video game. I was going to say, are you but... going, come on already, let's end this. I want to just be done. <laughs> well, there is a ton of grinding toward the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to like find a little short uh, shortcuts. So there are certain enemies that'll give you a ton of experience all at once. So the most I've been able to get, there's an enemy called a King Metal Slime. And the king slimes are like giant versions of the little slimes. And this one's wearing a crown, like a crown, like a king's mm-hmm. crown. And um, the metal versions of the slime monsters get you an insane amount of experience. Hmm. So if I could keep farming those, I could like grind a lot quicker. 
but it's hard to find them. And then it's also hard to beat them because they'll run away a lot. Mm. And if you, um, usually if you hit them with your regular attack, it'll just do one damage at a time. <laughs> and so what you do is you find the character, you use the characters that can do what's called critical attacks. And it's like attacks for extra damage. And then they'll just do like a whole bunch mm-hmm. and be able to defeat them in one round. Mm. So anyway, <laughs> so I'm you. kind of like getting toward the end of the game. Um, but I really do like it a lot. So I'm playing the PC game, which is kind of like the basic version. But there is a version out on the Switch that um, it's called Dragon Quest Eleven SE. Mm. And I guess E Special Edition, I guess yeah, is what it stands for. It. Um, so it has a few cool features. So one of them is that you can play like a pixelated classic style. So it looks like an old school, like Super Nintendo game. Hmm. Like with a, so it has like an anime 3D look, like, like basically you're in an anime cartoon in the regular version, but in the retro style, it's like an old school Super Nintendo, like top down style. Um, and the other thing it has is you can play with uh, Japanese audio and English subs, which I wish you could do in my version, but you can't. Oh, really? And the voice acting is still good, but it's it's like any modern JRPG that should be an option, I yeah, think. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised it's not. And then there's little, like, extras, too. Like, you can choose, like, you. I think you marry a character at the end of the story, and you can, like, choose who you want to marry. <laughs> I think the first game and then gives you one option. Huh. Um, but anyway, if anybody likes those kind of like adventure games, like the RPG games, but you want one that's more lighthearted and not grim and dark and depressing, um, I mean, it's really gorgeous. It's colorful. It has really good music. It has um, really unique monster designs. It's got a really good sense of humor. Um, that's the one I recommend. And it's, it's, I think it'll lift your spirits. It definitely is, um, is a lot of fun for me cool <laughs> i mean yeah it's nerds. one of those it's one of those like that you've kind of grown up with and you've lived with for a long time so i'm sure it definitely holds sure. a soft place in your heart so um in the same anime uh route and area which i i, I guess was totally on purpose um <laughs> so abby and i have been watching a series that has been out for uh let's see close to 13 years now 12 13 years now um but was just released on netflix and has gotten a lot of following again so abby and i've been watching uh, avatar the last airbender um it's a series that came out on um nintendo N- no nickelodeon or not nintendo <laughs> nickelodeon oh my gosh you, you threw me there have been Nintendo talk. games that have come out, but yeah. It yeah, they're not as good. Sorry, it came out on Nickelodeon. <laughs> um, oof. That was bad. It uh, came out on Nickelodeon back in uh, 20, 2005, um, and it follows essentially these three characters. It follows uh, Aang, uh, who is a airbender, and the whole premise of this world is that, if, if you don't know anything about it, here's your quick intro. Uh, the whole premise of this world is that there are four nations, uh, earth, air, water, and fire, uh, and they all lived in balance and uh, balance with each other uh, until at one point the fire nation attacks the other nations. Um, and the avatar is supposed to be the master of all of all four of the elements, uh, earth, wind, air, and fire. 
but at the uh, right when the attack begins, he vanishes. Um, so cut to a hundred years later. Um, we follow uh, who is it? Katara and Zuko, who are two and kids. Of... Oh, sorry, Sokka. Yes, Katara and Sokka. What did I say? Oh, I know why. Zuko is uh, another. He's like the bad guy of the first couple seasons. Yeah, we'll get to him in a bit. So um, <laughs> we follow follows Katara and Sokka, and they stumble upon this young Airbender uh, that has been frozen in the ice by the name of Ang and Ang, and these three. Uh, go on an adventure to essentially save the world and return balance to uh, the four nations. So, so that's the gist. That's Avatar: The Last Airbender. Again, it's one of those shows that's been out for a long time. Um, when it first came out, uh, the first season was released, and the the first season of the show it seems like was shown a lot. And I don't know if it was just when it was released in the cycle, but I remember those episodes being on Nickelodeon a lot. And then the second one and the third one were um, only shown for a short amount of time. And a big part of that, I think, and and um, I was I was talking about this with my uh, with my brother-in-law earlier, who's he's he said he watched the whole show when he was a kid, and I I hadn't watched the whole show all the way through. So this is my first time watching it. I had only seen like episodes here and there, but the first season is different from the second and the third in that the first season is very episodic and that you can jump into any individual episode and get a complete story arc. And I'm not sure that's the case for the second and the third seasons. I'd say there's kind of like a, um, there's like an overarching storyline, mm-hmm. but then there are, like specific episodes um but yeah i'd say as the show gets towards its like ser- like the series finale it does get a little bit more continuity heavy but that's because everything that this show has been leading up to at that point is is coming to a head right and at the beginning it's it's very much darling around which means they get to tell these really interesting stories um we're i mean we start and oh I should mention a great thing about this show. It's a 20 minute show on Netflix, which means you can like binge through like five episodes in two hours. It's fantastic. It's dangerous, but it's fantastic. Um, But we've watched probably the first 12 or 13 episodes and there are unique stories through each of them. There's learnings and you can see a a gentle progression uh, and a gentle arc over the main story. But each episode has its, has its clear, very uh very clearly has its own arc and its own lessons it's trying to teach and they're they are very good about carrying that information or carrying the lessons they learn through uh we don't yeah. we don't get a lot of double learning in there yeah i think that's neat it definitely has a bunch of character development um as the story progresses because they they learn more abilities and they get more um proficient in their skills but then they also become more um i guess like more developed as characters like in the very beginning ang is very lighthearted, um and then as he learns more about his responsibility as the avatar he gets i guess more purpose driven um mm-hmm. and he, yeah he, he puts those the that job and responsibility on his shoulders yeah 
It's really neat. One of my favorite characters in the show is Zuko. Mm-hmm. Um, he's cast as the antagonist, especially in the first couple seasons. Um, so his he's a disgraced prince. Um, he has a scar over his left eye because his father um, burned him in this like ritual combat called an Agni Kai. Mm-hmm. And so the only way that he can redeem himself is to find the Avatar, which is is kind of like a fool's errand because the Avatar hasn't been seen in a hundred years. Um, but as Zuzuko eventually discovers the Avatar and becomes consumed um, with this quest, it's kind of like like um, Captain Ahab and Moby Dick. Like he just like his whole purpose in life is to get the avatar and he's just totally consumed by it and sort of blinded by it. Like he doesn't have any other reason for existing almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but his character is balanced by this wise old man, his uncle Iroh, who um, he's just this sort of like very gentle um, laid back. He's his uncle. So he's like older he's like a grandfatherly type of figure. And he's always, giving these chestnuts of wisdom mm-hmm. um but he's so like, really he's, neat yeah he's this like gentle like this gentle guy but whenever he actually gets into a fight it's clear that he is he he has earned his expertise because he's a general uh yeah so like it's clear that he's earned his rank from like there's the few bits of time few times when he does get in a fight he very much takes the adam uh the idea of um, don't fight a fight if you don't have to, and if you're gonna fight it, end it. Um, yeah. to heart. Yeah, he's a really neat character. The um, the voice actor who voices him is named Mako, mm-hmm. and he actually died between the second and third seasons. But he's like this incredible voice actor. Um, I don't know what else he's played, but he's he's one of my favorites in um in avatar yeah he's played in a bunch of different things because he was well known um outside of avatar but i think that's where he got his um what am i trying to think of like his american fame was from that yeah um but yeah so the the show itself carried a lot of um it was one of those that kind of went under the radar i almost went under the radar when it first came out but since then has gained such a cult following that there's been other uh, several other shows that have kind of grown from that. Um, yeah, it, it pioneered this American anime style. Mm-hmm. Um, so Michael DiMartino and Aaron Ahaz, I, I think Michael DiMartino was more of the artist, um, but they were really influenced by anime, and that's how they did all the character designs. They also did, um, one of their trademarks is these animal hybrids, <laughs> um, which is inspired by Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli, which mm-hmm. is a like they're like one of the premier uh, Japanese movie like animated movies movie studios. So one of um, Ang's animal companions is named Momo, and he's a flying lemur. So he's kind of like a cross between a lemur and a flying squirrel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. Well, and then the other one um, that's very iconic is Appa, who is a um, a fly, an air bison, flying I think, yeah, bison, an air bison. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so he resembles, if anybody's ever seen My Neighbor Totoro, there is a creature, um, he's this giant cat and um, turns into a bus at one point <laughs> and has like all these different legs that it runs on. And um, Appa has six legs and can fly and is so huge that um, all of Aang and his companions can fly, like fit on his back in a big saddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, at least the characters between that, and I didn't realize that. Like, yeah. So the 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 different animals uh, thrown together, they they do play fun off of that. And I think my favorite one was, um, oh, what was it? Um, when they're in, and I haven't gotten, we haven't gotten to this episode, but it's when they're in Bossing Say, and um, they're being treated well because Ang is Ang is the avatar, the one to bring balance back to the world. So they're going to go into the uh, emperor's uh, palace for a show and they say and the uh, guy says it's like you're you or the oh the letter says you've been invited to the uh, emperor's palace to see the bear perform and <laughs> yeah. and they're like what do you mean the bear perform you like a platypus bear it's like no it just says bear it's a duck bear it's like no it just it, it just says bear God, this place is weird <laughs> so it's one of those they play fun at this it's like yeah there's just no normal animals in this place it's just it's all of these hybrids like even the penguins in the uh the beginning before they had really gotten on it because i think ang calls them penguins uh the penguins have like four arms because why not and yeah. uh they like they have something different on their head as well but yeah the, the character the characters uh that they've created in this show uh, do have a lot of depth and they all have they all have their own um like the things that are good about them are uh often the things that most define them and can be their uh can be their downfall as well like zuko's uh determination to catch the avatar ends up turning into this like this just devout uh this drive this insatiable drive that nobody else has ang's um kindness just defines his character throughout the whole show and uh as well as iroh's wisdom like all of these characters have these these um traits that they hold to but they're never uh flanderized which is really good which is really impressive um that they never like that's never only their character they are these fully developed characters yeah they're all really well developed and um especially as the series goes on there's um, just so much development with them as characters. Um, and the other thing that happens as the series goes on that's really neat is the world opens up and you get to see the uh, the water tribes, which are in the North and South Pole, the Earth Kingdom, which um, kind of reminds me of ancient China. Like mm. there's this huge city that has a giant wall, Bossing Say. Um, so the, the second season is mostly in the Earth Kingdom, and then the third season is in the Fire Kingdom, um, which is really neat, too, is, like, volcanoes, and I don't know. It's just there's mm-hmm. so much neat scenery around. And then um, the Air the air Nation, um, you get to see air a lot nomads. of their – yeah, the Air Nomads. <laughs> you get to see a lot of their ancient temples, which are really mm-hmm. cool. Um, and there's also infused in it like this, like all of this m- magic. And um, I think it's also very 
influenced by like Eastern wisdom. So people are meditating and like, um, also go ahead. I was going to say, there's this connection to the spirit world that's, um, driven very early on that like the avatar is the link between the spirit world and the, the world that we all live in. Yeah. So that's definitely neat that there's this little like spiritual dimension. And, um, the other cool thing is, so every water or like every bender, um, has a fighting style that is, um, like an analog to a real world fighting style. Um, I can't remember what all of them are. I think water might be Tai Chi and I don't know. There, There's just, mm-hmm. it's very neat because it's, so when they're actually fighting, um, it looks very fluid. It's kind of like a really cool Kung Fu movie is the way it comes off. Right. But with well, people like shooting fire and water at each other and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it takes this very interesting point of like the, the combativeness between them. So things like the, uh, and I haven't gotten to it, but I remember it. Um, the when Ang is trying to learn earthbending, he has a very very hard time because airbending is all about flow, dodging attacks, um, avoiding and redirecting things, and moving around things. Where earthbending is all about you stand your ground and you fight through it, and you just you just like lock down, and that's where you are. So he has such a hard time learning that. At one point in the show, I think Katara brings up to him, it's like, well, you're probably having as much trouble. I mean, you're having so much trouble with it because it's the opposite element of you. Imagine a waterbender trying to learn firebending, where waterbending is all about these flowing motions and this this uh, smooth movement, and firebending is sharp attacks and sharp actions and uh, move here and stop. So mm-hmm. the, the, the analog and how they draw those comparisons is really interesting as well there's a whole philosophy i think to avatar that they did carry through uh there's another show that came after uh, avatar the last airbender air airbender called um avatar legend of Korra, which we're mm-hmm. not really going to talk about because we're kind of running out of time but uh they carry that philosophy through there as well and when you get that, done with Legend of Korra, we should have Callie on because that's one of her favorite shows. She actually likes that one a little bit better than the original. Really Avatar. interesting. Okay. Yeah, we can definitely check it. Uh, we can definitely talk about it. It'd be, it'd be a good one to talk about. She's going to be ticked that we talked about Avatar without her. <laughs> <laughs> well, she'll be happy to come on for Legend of Korra. That's, that one's a little bit more, um, I guess, mature. Like the characters are a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, takes place in the avatar's future because the avatar takes place in this world that's kind of like ancient asia and um and legend of korra takes place in this steampunk world right so that's really neat too yeah and the only other show that we should really mention by the same i think it's by the same creators is uh the dragon prince yeah we talked about that um season two yeah and we should so come if back anybody to wants to learn about yeah, once it once we finish it up, we should probably come back to that. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a really good one too. It's by the same animators. So that's season two, episode four that we mm-hmm. talked about, um, Dragon Prince. If anybody wants to check that out. Well all right. <laughs> that's that's all I got. It's a good show. Check it out. It's good entertainment. And it's I think like number two on Netflix right now. So yeah. we have plenty of company to watch it with. 
Yeah, it's really neat. It's just gorgeous animation and incredible storyline. And like Troy said, it's very binge-worthy. So you can get through the whole series and get this grand story, which is really neat. Uh, we did want to thank everybody so much for listening to Hip Squared. Um, if you like the show, please tell a friend. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes. Uh, to keep up with the show, like us on Facebook. Uh, whenever we come out with a new episode, uh, we'll promote it there. You can also check out a bunch of cool audio content on AmericanFantastic.com. So American Fantastic Theater is my audio and storytelling podcast, um, poetry podcast. There is um, American Fantastic Radio Hour that I produced in collaboration with Art FM. And there's all kinds of neat um, writing, photography, um, visual art on AmericanFantastic.com for you to sink your teeth into. I wanted to thank Mayplex Monk for producing tonight's episode and um, doing so remotely, helping to, to kind of corral us here on the tubes of the internet. Um, and we wanted to thank danosongs.com for our intro and outro music. If anybody needs any royalty-free music for their project, that's an excellent resource to use. And uh, last but not least, one of the best ways to support us is by becoming a member of American Fantastic on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Anything helps. Uh, well, try my forgetting anything. No, I think you got it all. All right, and we'll catch you next time. Toodles. Toodles.